Hey everyone, it's Matilda. Just wanted to drop a note before we start the episode proper. We originally recorded this in the summer of 2021, right before we left for hiatus. So there's some things here and there that are a bit out of date, our whatcha plans especially. Just wanted to let y'all know so that you don't flood our Twitter mentions talking about how out of date our memes are. Trust us, we know. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening and enjoy our Davy Double feature. And welcome to another episode of Rainbow Road. I am your host, Travis. Joining us once again is co-host Mike. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Travis, how you doing? I am peachy. It is gorgeous outside. I am so happy we're finally getting some warm weather. And I am so happy and excited to talk about these games today. Mm -hmm. This topic was actually chosen by Maddie. Maddie stepping out from behind the producer group booth once again to discuss some games with us. I'm back, 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 back again. Hi, Maddie. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm jazzed to talk about these games and I've done the required reading for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You did your homework? Oh, I did my homework. Well, it was your idea, so I certainly hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us once again is Ashley Cooper. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Uh, How are you doing, Ashley? Uh, Are you playing the new Mass Effect Legendary? I am currently not playing the new Mass Effect, uh, much to my heartbreak. Um, I promised myself that I would buy it as a reward for finishing a draft of a feature that I'm writing right now. Oh, that's good. You have your own little reward system. Exactly. That is how I'm keeping myself Uh. productive, because if I buy it, you will never hear from me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone needs that motivational carrot, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Do it for Liara. Do it for Liara. And if you're anything like Travis, once you start, you won't stop. Exactly. It's like Pringles. <laughs> exactly. Pringles is not paying us any money, by the way. Not yet. Give they it should. time. They're sponsoring Overwatch League. So, like, they're into video games. Pringles. Oh, really? Come on. Get at me with that sponsorship money. I feel like if we want to be really legit as a podcast, we I've, uh, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. No, I don't know. <laughs> We're not at all. Uh, <laughs> this episode brought to you by Squarespace, Raid Shadow Legends, Casper Mattress, and... Better help. And better help. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just cover all our, we'll cover our bases. We'll just a wide appeal to all the possible sponsors. And then, you know, one of the cupcakes we throw at the wall will stick. Exactly. Yeah. No, we'll record a bunch of them, send each of them the file of their sponsorship, and then say, okay, well, we put you on the show. Send us money now. (laughs) Actually, they all suck except for. And whichever one pays us, we'll just put in there. (laughs) Give them a good reason to fork it up. Well, today's episode is brought to you by Davy Reedon, because we are talking about the Stanley Parable and the Beginner's Guide. The Stanley Parable and the Beginner's Guide are two games developed by Davy Reedon. Originally released in 2011 and updated several times since, the Stanley Parable will be re-releasing again this year, hopefully on console and with updated content again. In The Stanley Parable, you play Stanley, a character in a walking simulator who can choose to obey or disobey the narrator, and your various degrees of obedience create different endings to the story. And in The Beginner's Guide, you listen to Davey tell a story about a game developer he knew and walks you through the games this man created until you realize that this person probably never existed in the first place? 
They are both walking simulators that meditate on the relationship between game player and game developer, or, more loosely, author and audience. I say that, you know, normally we're a spoiler show and, you know, we might spoil something for you, but these games are so metatextual that I'm, I'm not really sure that applies here. Although I will say that you will enjoy this episode more if you have played both of the games. Let's dive in. What are your first impressions, starting with the Stanley Parable? What was it like the first time you played? Because Maddie, I know when I showed it to you uh, two years ago for the first time, you were not having it. You were not a fan. Yeah. So has that changed? Yeah. I didn't think it was bad. I was just so clearly not the right audience for it yet. It was playing off so many like video game tropes, both like walking sim genre and in general. And like, it expects you to try and make a difference and anticipate that your choices will matter and like affect the gameplay. And I just, I wasn't expecting that. I was too new to gaming and I was almost too along for the ride, I guess. And I also started off with my least favorite ending, like the repeat basement ending. So it, it fell very flat for me. And I remember you watching, expecting a reaction and me just being like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm clicking the buttons. I can appreciate it on a surface level. The door on the left trick was fun, but this is clearly not meant for me. Wait, hold on. Let me let me get this right. Travis was watching you play the game, mm-hmm. like an excited child, just like sitting there next to you, being like, <laughs> "Oh yeah." I, I, that's unfortunately like a lot of our experiences of gaming together. <laughs> <laughs> well, no wonder it's, it's a classic observer effect uh, problem. There might have been a little bit of that. And, like, the way it was sold to me was that it was pretty, like, mind-blowing and weird and really, like, a step forward for gaming. So it did have big shoes to fill. It's more that the game was built for gamers. And I think he just showed it to me, like, a little bit too early for me to, like, really get it. A a knowledge of video games definitely helped. I mean, obviously, it's a video game, so you kind of need to know how to move around and and it, like it, if you take a certain path like it'll give you like a walking tour of like portal and minecraft um, but it sort of felt like do you guys remember dilbert <laughs> i do yes yeah it just kind of had that that like bleak like non- ennui yeah like the ennui you know uh, of like what it could be like to just follow this boring trajectory of like I'm working an office job, I'm just like pushing a button, and now more so than ever with like technology and phones and and smart TVs constantly, you know, mm-hmm. monitoring us. Like we're just kind of these weird algorithms for to get advertised at. You know, it's it's that it's 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 like that distilled into a, a, a walking simulator. Well, Ashley, how did you feel when you first played the Stanley Parable? What was it like for you? I did not play the Stanley Parable until I want to say like two years ago. Okay, so I am a recent. PC gamer person. I spent most of my life playing video games via console. Uh, And so that meant that I missed the Stanley Parable entirely. I was interviewing for a comedy game. And most of the games that I think of as comedy uh, are not very good. (laughs) (laughs) What? And that's, that's, that's a whole other thing. Uh, That's a, that's a hot take. Ashley, what what would you say is a comedy game? Like Gex enter the gecko. I don't know. Okay. okay. (laughs) But like, are we talking like Portal? Are we talking Conker's Bad Fur Day? Are we talking Leisure Suit Larry? Like, what what are what are your ideas of comedy games? Well, I mean, now there's a different answer to that question than there was at the time. Okay, because I was remembering things like Brutal Legend stuff that was like their idea of funny was just like 
make the character say things during gameplay that are quippy, but then like those quips just repeat a million times over the 10 hour campaign. And by the time it's over, you just want your character to shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) And so like I, at the time I was like, okay, Google best comedy games, like, like a fucking pleb. (laughs) And the Stanley parable was on basically every list that I read. And I was like, okay, let's check this out. And I, I played it and I was like, this is so smart. This is so clever. I feel like I could put this in front of anybody and they would get the joke because I think you're both right in that it is simultaneously a meta commentary on kind of the instructive element of navigating a video game, but it is also kind of a satire on the routine of like an average person's life you have to wake up. You have to go to work. You have to do what your boss says. You have to go home. You have to kiss your wife. You have to, you know, walk the dog. Like, just these kind of, like, for a lot of people, their their lives follow, like, a very predictable rhythm. And I think what Stanley Parable does is, while also being a commentary on gaming, is also kind of a commentary on the expected rhythm of life. Totally. And yes. the magic that's just around the corner you never turn. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. For me, that I, nails it right there because I feel like you're, you're kind of having this relationship with the narrator, right? Who, who's giving off a very intense Alan Rickman vibe, I feel. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> you know, yeah. You could put this in front of anyone. You're right. Absolutely. You could put this. Uh, in fact, that's what happened to me when I first played this game is that it was years ago and someone literally just put it in front of me and was like, go in blind and just play it. And especially where, with where I'm at right now in my life, I've just like, it felt like the right thing to play at the right time. So I was really glad when you were sort of like, let's do a Stanley Parable and then, and then Beginner's Guide, which is also a really um, interesting addition to have in the same atmosphere of games too so well let's jump into the beginner's guide then so what what did you think of it now that you've played it so i thought it you mentioned that it's fiction i thought it was non-fiction in fact i think i misled my roommate being like yeah this coda guy is like definitely real now i feel (laughs) stupid uh but (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know it seemed like it started out as this like message or love letter to coda this creator and then the author starts getting like really real with you he's he's like inferring certain things and admitting certain blind spots It, it feels like a like an art gallery or like a walking tour of someone's creations mm-hmm. and how the art evolved over time like you know so it's that relationship between art and artist which is also something that i love i had a like a music podcast once upon a time and uh that was like the mission statement i was like yeah let's connect art and artists so i was like this is really cool and then there was a turn right the narrative starts getting really emotional mm-hmm. and really raw and it sort of takes you off guard a little bit I, well it took me off guard how did you guys feel about that turn where it starts becoming you start like thinking about what's his name Davey uh, Davey and Coda are the two characters yeah is Davey his real name like the because he says he's a writer for the Stanley Parable yeah, that is, yeah this is the same guy who made both games and the email he gives you in the first level is real like you could actually use that Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I started thinking about him very differently because at first he's just kind of like this guy who's giving you a walking tour of this work and then it turns into, oh, like now we're exploring the intricacies of the relationship between two people and you start kind of seeing Davy in a different light. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's like having an unreliable narrator 
which I can only really think of one game that's ever really attempted that. The only time I can recall that happening is in Spec Ops The Line, and spoilers for Spec Ops The Line, I guess skip 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Um, It sets you up as the narrator of the story and then flips it on its head and says, this is what you expected and assumed out of this story. Now that you know the truth, what do you think about yourself? That kind of thing. And what does that say about you that you made these assumptions and this was your bias and this was how you were willing to interpret the game? What about you, Maddie and Ashley? Like starting with Ashley, you played Beginner's Guide on stream, right? What did you think of it? Uh, I definitely cried during it. Oh, you, oh, you played this on your stream. <laughs> I played this on my stream for the first, like my first experience with it. I knew nothing about it. I knew it was from the Stanley Parable Guide and that was the extent of my knowledge. And I had no reason to doubt any of the content. Mm. Several people in chat had played it before, knew what I was in for, uh, but never gave away anything. Because like, <laughs> it starts very unassumingly. It's like, hey, uh, I had this friend who, you know, was really interested in game development and never really did anything with it, but I found some really fascinating themes in the stuff that he was working on, and I happened to have the working files, so I thought... I would create this like walking museum of like the stuff that he did. We could talk about his intentions and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's a really fascinating idea because like the game industry is so protective over the uh, the making of process of things. Mm-hmm. And even like the brief glimpses behind the curtain that you get are very curated and very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of like going through this with like somebody who had like industry experience and new stuff and kind of like going through and discussing kind of like this hobbyist's work was like, I was like, oh, I'm down for that. That's really interesting. And it kept going on and these ideas that were being presented became like increasingly more profound. And one that really stuck with me, there's a sequence that is presented like a museum exhibit where people walk through a space and then can leave messages wherever they want. Whatever (laughs) message they want, they can leave a message and it appears as a little bubble that you can interact with to read their message. And it is so expertly created because... I feel like I've been to museum exhibits like that before where there's this level of audience participation to them. And you can tell like there's always those areas that people tend to congregate, right? Mm -hmm. Less people are stopping in the middle of the hallways. More people are stopping in the big rooms and stuff like that. And they recreated this experience so expertly and wrote dozens and dozens and dozens of these little like post-it note sized messages in a myriad of different voices. But you could also tell that some of the messages were from the same people and you could pick up like these little tiny mini stories Mm -hmm. throughout them and stuff. The cabbage one, like something about cabbages I remember kept coming up when I was in one of the messages and like the certain (laughs) ellipses, ellipsy ball messages. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is very specifically my experience because of how I experienced it, when I experienced it, in the context I experienced it, I started streaming out of kind of like sheer loneliness like last summer because we were all in lockdown and I was no longer able to perform as a comedian and go out and connect with people and scratch that performance itch. And like, I'm not typically like a very extroverted person, but I was finding that like Without that outlet, I was kind of like starving to death. Mm -hmm. And so streaming became that new outlet for me. And so 
kind of like sitting by myself with other people watching and participating to be in this area where I just felt connected to all of these people was really profound in that moment. And I still have that feeling associated with it, even though like the curtain was pulled back by the end and I realized that it was a work of fiction, but it was such an exceptionally well-executed work of fiction that I'm kind of not even mad about it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. well, the level you're talking about too starts with a title card that says, This game is online. Yes. And immediately, Davey, the narrator, tells you this game is not connected to the internet. Like, it, it, it immediately pulls that back at the start of the game and tells you, like, None of this is real, but you're still going to buy it just a little bit, aren't you? Well, see, my impression of it was that, like, this was kind of like an artifact that like once upon a time it was online and this is what's left that like these are kind of digital cave paintings you can no longer participate in these conversations you can only bear witness to them that's how that's how i interpreted it yeah i can understand how you could arrive at either conclusion though because it really did seem like it could go either way i was very fascinated by the unexpected moral questions that came up throughout like as you were you were mentioning you know, our relationship with the narrators kind of starts to change because basically the story is that like this guy is sharing his work with the narrator to get his thoughts and stuff like that. And eventually the narrator takes it upon himself to start sharing that work with others because he wants to celebrate it. He wants to encourage this guy. And and understand him. And understand him. That is such a big part of the whole thing. This character takes great offense to this because it was not shared with those other people. It was shared with him and it becomes this breach of trust. And because we put ourselves in our art that you are involuntarily exposing this person to others. Because you going back to the idea of like understanding this character, the narrator is constantly projecting on these uh, these little levels, these little experiments that this character is doing. And that's kind of what we do. And, yeah. and this, this is something that like we do with all art. It's not exclusive to video games. It's like, oh, her red dress. And then also there's a red door and your brain goes, there's a connection. But there, there was no intent there. But our brains are trained to draw conclusions where perhaps they are, there are none. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spurious connections. Well, as we're playing, we're like, oh yeah, look at these half-finished experiments, blah, blah, blah. But the narrator is like, I'm starting to get the sense that my friend is lonely, that maybe they're crying out for help. And as somebody who puts their deepest fears and their most extreme insecurities in their work, I I just believed it. I just thought, I've done that. If you took all of my work before coming out, and was like, oh, this writer's trans. Look at all of these themes that keep coming up. Mm-hmm. How exposed and furious I would feel. I just so directly connected with them and felt solidarity with that. And then there's this layer too that Davey has altered the games to make them more accessible, as he would put it. But in doing that, like he's altering the message of the games. He's putting yeah. lampposts at the end, stuff like that. Oh yeah, like, the oh my God, the fucking lampposts. He's presenting this all as this deeply personal art that you can learn about Coda through, but he's also rewriting it. 
Like, as much as he says he wants to get to know Coda, yeah. he's full out erasing what Coda's said. He's so pointedly, uh, Coda is so pointedly uses the word uh, infected, you know, when, he, when you get to that end bit, mm-hmm. he's like, you've infected my work, like, as if Davy were some sort of poison, you know? And, and to me, that seemed rather cantankerous to sort of turn on, you know, an audience member that you have clearly developed a rapport with and be like, you, well, you're ruining it, you know, you're ruining what I'm doing. You know, but then again, there's no shortage of like petulant artists or creators. So I feel like but like he's changing the work fundamentally and then sharing it beyond where it was supposed to go. So he's putting words into Coda's mouth. He's putting Coda's name on games Coda's never seen. Like, I feel like this was on the lower end of how Coda could have responded within the narrative. Like, if I was Coda, I, I probably would not have been this nice. Right. Yeah. Both of these games become a meditation, as you guys said, on the the relationship between the author and the audience. And it's really interesting that all three of you have ideas of what this is saying. But at the same time, a lot of those ideas come down to don't project your own personal ideas onto what the author wants. Like, you don't know what an author really is wanting or trying to say. You only know your own interpretation of it. You can't prove what this author wants the story to be and how it's supposed to be told and interpreted. And I just, I love that. I love the paradox that that creates the idea that if that is his message, we failed by believing it. <laughs> we failed <laughs> by going in and trying to assume that message from Davy Reedon. It's this complete paradox that you cannot win. You, you cannot be correct. And I, I kind of love that. I love that there is no answer and that you can't win. I, I don't know. I find that really fascinating. I know a lot of video game critics wrote about this piece with a lot of disclaimers in their introduction saying like, this is a game that resists being talked about. Any conclusion you draw, the game will poke at and say, but are you sure you can draw a conclusion? Yeah. Yes. But I think that's why I love it so much. It gives you permission to make your own reading of it because there isn't one correct one. Like, you just have to know when you're talking about your experience with the game, that you're talking about you, yes, not 100%. about Davey Reedon. Absolutely. And I think it's the inherent problem of uh, like an artist creating something that is an object, right? You, when you make art, you're making an object and you're kind of just like eschewing it into the world. You know, you're, you're just pushing it into a crowd and being like, here's my object. And then you have a bunch of people who are subjects giving their subjective interpretation of what the object is when really the the author being a subject of their own you, you can walk away with all sorts of different impressions of, of this like one thing this one game this one creation right and i think that it, it does leave a lot of room for people to fill in the blanks with their own ideas of what the author meant or like for for me i have like a bad habit of I don't know if it's a bad habit, but I have a habit of like personally reflecting with like something that leaves a lot of room like that. I don't like, think that's a bad habit at all. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I guess it, I get a lot of satisfaction out of art in that way because I'm just like, I make it personally relatable. I feel like it's a little e- egotistical though. Yeah. So I, I try and, and I, I anyways, I, you know, right now, for instance, uh, I'm going through this like big change period in my life and I liked when the beginner's guide gets metaphorical, you know, where there there's one game where that's just like, you are now entering, and then there's two in a row, and then there's a, you are now exiting, and then Davey talks about how Coda's creating these liminal spaces between transitional periods, right? Yeah. I think the, the analogy that I used when I was talking with my roommate was, it's like the artist is the snake, and then he sheds his skin, 
right? He sheds this, this, the skin and the skin is the game, right? It's mm-hmm. like, here's where I was at that very moment in time. I have left it behind as a relic. And it is a, it is an accurate portrayal of my internal world, my emotional state that you can now see that as an object that you can interpret, that you can have a subjective opinion on, but it's not me or where I am now because it was where I was at the time when I created it. And that creation process is how Coda moves on to the next thing. But then Davy takes it and is like, oh, well, he's suffering. He's struggling. And I'm really worried about my friend because, and it's like, no, 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 you, Davy, you don't get it. It's like, this is part of the process. And he even says at the end, like, the low points are part of the process of the creation. Ashley, you were talking about how you started the stream partly, uh, you know, because of the loneliness and isolation that was created as a result of the pandemic, you know? And I feel like this is so common for artists and creators to face a feeling that they're having, like a very deep, deep feeling and be compelled to create as a result of dealing with that, you know, that existential situation where you're like, I, I have these feelings. I need to do something because of it. Right. Uh, and, and it's through that movement that we, that we like keep on going that as artists and creators, like we keep making as a result. So totally. Yeah. What I think is really interesting is that the way that you refer to the story as an object, like uh, an apple or a tree or a physical tangible thing that's in front of you or shed skin or something, but something that is in a sense permanent, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I feel like that applies to a lot of different art forms, but it takes on a very different meaning with video games. Because when I'm reading a book or I'm watching a TV show, I can pause and play and I guess rewind or fast forward if I really want to. But the text itself doesn't change very much based on how it's going. It's mostly up to my own biases, my own history with the medium, history with the author, history with the subject matter. That is what changes the interpretation for it me, for me, and that's what makes it different and interesting. Mm-hmm. But a video game can be played differently. It can be experienced differently and in different ways than other people have experienced it. And I find that really fascinating and interesting about what this medium is capable of. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to video games specifically, uh, I'm going to start with Ashley. Do you consider a player to be partially an author of their video game experience? Absolutely. The player has some level of autonomy in almost every game, no matter how small. You know, the very obvious candidate is something like an open world RPG, like a Fallout or an Elder Scrolls or something, right? Where you can literally just blaze your own trail and go off on a complete tangent and not touch the main story for 50 hours and have a wholly unique experience. Or even down to something that's a little more traditional and a more linear uh, experience, like an Uncharted game. You know, where you must go to this area, you must trigger this event to trigger this cutscene, blah, 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 blah. But you still have a role to play in choosing what kind of gun you use, where you decide to position to take cover, you know, how you engage with every fight. All of those things make you the author of your own experience, because where I might decide to go high and pick people off of a pistol, you might rush in with a shotgun. You know what I mean? Like, and these are these are very small differences, but it can be the difference between, oh yeah, it took me 10 minutes. It was real methodical. It was like, I felt really cool like a badass versus, oh no, that sequence for me was this adrenaline pumping, holy shit moment, right? And you can have such a unique experience with it. Whereas like with a movie, like you're saying, like the movie doesn't change. 
It always takes 90 minutes. The characters always say the same thing at the exact same time. <laughs> a book, as long as you're reading the, every page of the book, the book remains the same. It doesn't matter. Unless we're talking choose your own adventure books or, you know, like that kind of thing. But traditionally, a book is a book. It, t- it tells the same story no matter what. There is no level of interactivity with them. The closest you get, I think, is to like a painting in a weird way, which like obviously a painting is a, is a static work of art that doesn't change. But it is very much the sort of thing where you are bringing so much of yourself to that experience. And whereas one person can find comfort in a landscape, another person can find isolation and loneliness in it, you know? And I think that is, for the most part, like uh, the, the interactivity and the unique expression of a specific thing is what makes video games such a, a special art form. Mm-hmm. I want to push back a little bit on the sort of um, RPG thing. Because the the video games that I've had the most interesting discussions about, uh, like the ones I've disagreed with people about the most, the ones where I've found my own story within it that's farthest from other people's, are the ones that are more linear, like Beginner's Guide, or uh, even something like Pokemon Snap. The sort of stories you create for yourself within a very simple framework often end up being the most unique to you. So even though the source material isn't changing, I find myself having a more different experience than someone else has with the same material because we're putting more of ourselves in it to like fill in the gaps like you would with other abstract art. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. Do you feel like it's because your experiences were so similar that it makes the differences easier to talk about because it's so pointed and it's specific? Like, oh, well, you know, because it was 99% similar, the 1% that was different for me is very obvious and easy for me to talk about. Do you feel like maybe that's part of the reason or no? That's a, that's a fair point. I think comparing the two games is also interesting between Stanley Parable and The Beginner's Guide. Because I feel like Stanley Parable, I think people end up having more similar readings of it, like very similar understandings of what it means. Whereas something like The Beginner's Guide has people walking away with very different impressions of why the game exists and like what it's saying. I think that's actually an exceptional point. Yeah. And even even something like The Beginner's Guide, given that it has a very linear nature, going back to uh, this game is not online, you could read a few of those, go, okay, I get the gist and just walk through the rest of it. Whereas I made a very distinct point of reading every single one. Oh, really? And like kind of stopping and taking them in and being like, oh, hey, I wonder if this character is walking through the exhibit with that character because I can I get the sense that like blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, yeah, maybe I read them in a different order than somebody else. Maybe I made the connections of like, oh, I think this is the same character like at a different point. Mm -hmm. So there is still even within something that has such a linear and even limited scope for me to have my own individual experience with it. And then you can take that one further with the way that we have video games. There aren't many other art forms where we are interested in watching people experience that art. We might want to discuss it with them afterwards, but we we don't necessarily want to watch people directly engage with it. But, you know, Mike was making fun of the fact that I would be sitting and staring at Maddie as she plays, but like that's what we do with streaming. That's that you were streaming the game yeah. when you did this. And did that affect your experience knowing that you were performing for an audience and that, 
you were trying to provide content for people, did that affect your experience of the game in that moment? Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. I think that's really fascinating. I feel like the game has an interesting outlook on streaming, especially with the name The Beginner's Guide, because on the one hand, it's almost like anti-streaming, because it's so passionately like, go into a game blind and make your own decisions about it, let yourself have an untainted experience. But on the other hand, I love watching streams of this game because no one reacts the same to it. <laughs> but like, I'm so glad I played it for myself first. Do you guys have any thoughts as to why this is referred to as the beginner's guide? Like, uh, Ashley, do you have any idea? I always saw it as a reference to the idea that these are somebody's first forays into game design and game development. Okay. And so it was walking through the progress of somebody kind of getting their sea legs in an art form. That was how I always read it, but that's also admittedly like a very basic reading of it. I mean, a very literal one as well. It's still not one I'd thought of, so I uh, kudos to you. Uh, Maddie, do you have any thoughts as to the title? To me, it pings the same part of my brain as like the wind state jokes in Stanley Parable. Or like the idea of intended play with all of these like YouTube compilations showing you how to do something in the game or how to get from A to B or got all the ending explained videos. Like, no, let yourself be confused. Let yourself experience it how you are going to experience it. And if if that's not the optimal experience, you can go back and replay and find that optimal approach later. Just let yourself be a beginner. I think it also refers to being a beginner in the process of creation. And I think that you could transpose this paradigm to creating anything. It deals heavily with the themes of creation and destruction. You know, it's how you are first, like you said, getting your sea legs, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of the baby deer and, and making something that, you know, may have a few artifices, like a few things that are your signature, right? You're, you're the, the author's signature in the piece of work that you're creating. And then by the end of the game, you're going back through this walking tour. You know, there's this summary moment where you're given the gun from the spaceship level. You go through all the levels and you shoot all the levels that have been created and destroy them, right? Creation, destruction, creation, destruction. And I think that it is a beginner's guide to creating and how Coda has created these works and how this audience member has seemingly uh, misinterpreted or missed the point of the author's creation. Cool. Yeah. How, how, what, it, uh, what, what do you think, Travis? I, genuinely, I don't know. I, I've always been fascinated by it as a decision. I don't know if it was a, like a beginner's guide to understanding Coda, and then therefore even the title is kind of, I don't want to say false, but it's already leading you down the wrong path of you shouldn't be trying to understand Coda right now. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I, it was it was kind of very, it was very inspiring because to me that one of the takeaways was like, you, you know, don't bother trying to understand a person, another person. Understand yourself. Yeah. Look mm -hmm. within. Find, find the creator spark within your own person and do that. Instead of being a fanboy to someone else, you, you know, what is your journey? What is your path? What, how are you going to create? And that was sort of one of my, my big takeaways from that as well. Yeah, and I think that's why, honestly, I wanted to cover it uh, on the show was because, uh, I mean, oh, this is Maddie's idea. I'm not going to take credit for it. But um, 
why I was really excited about it personally was that I feel like this is what we do as queer people when we project queer baiting and queer coding. And it's very easy for the authors to say, well, I never intended that. Or for other people to say that the authors never intended that. Oh, God. And that happens so much, too. I yeah. mean, look at the whole Harry, like the Harry Potter thing and like all these the Dumbledore situation. Where, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's so easy for an author to write something in and say that, well, this character was supposed to be gay or was never supposed to be gay or these kind of things. But we still do it as a queer audience because it's sometimes all we have is these interpretations of the characters, this shipping mentality, right? Like right. this is yeah. this is what we've got. And I think it's really important to like queer the text of things, not in necessarily in the explicit way of, you know, man loves man, woman loves woman, more so in the idea that queering the boundaries of what something is expected to be. To, because that's what queerness is, right? It's the, the difference that we make between heteronormativity and between gender constructs and gender roles and how we push the boundaries of that. And this pushes the boundaries of what it is to be art, what it is to be a game. And I, I find that really interesting and fascinating. Yeah, like, I I cannot play this game in a way that isn't trans. And there's an interesting little headcanon or, like, fan reading of Coda as a trans woman. I felt it when I, I first played through the game. Uh, and afterwards, I found people online who were talking about it, too. Across all of the games, there's like little elements of femininity. Like a couple times you're referred to as ma'am by characters when playing, or the player character is female, and like the only figure with a face in the games is a woman. But also there's this change around the house cleaning game, mm -hmm. where Davy says, in this time, Coda was the happiest. And it's when the game is focusing on like domesticity and homemaking and cleaning all these like very traditionally feminine things. And like, there's not a lot there, but there was enough that like it got wheels turning in my head. And when I went back and looked at this story of like crossed boundaries and someone projecting onto someone else and assuming their truth, it felt really trans to me. And of course I was already reading each individual game in a very trans way so it all fit together nicely and it just ups the existing disconnect between Davy's idea of coda and the real coda because like Davy is being read as a man because Davy is reading through his own lens that's so fascinating i love that it's really it's partly an examination of speculation yeah and like I would never expect it to be canon. I would never like expect Davy Reedon to come out and say, oh, this whole time I was writing this, I was imagining that Coda was a trans woman. But like, that doesn't matter. That's the whole point of the game. Like, who's going to tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> and reading that letter at the end of like, you thought these games were about you. I need to not talk to you anymore. Felt so woman talking to the creepy guy she met at a game jam once who won't stop messaging her now. <laughs> There's just that vibe. <laughs> I love this game. Yeah. yeah, it was really good. Thank you for the suggestion of us to do it because I feel like I, I don't know, I felt it, it felt more meaningful than a lot of games that I've played in recent memory. And I think even the tone of this episode kind of reflects that. We've definitely taken a really 
deep stoic, not stoic, but maybe like contemplative walkthrough of our our, our own subjective takeaways from playing this game, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Going along from that thought, I do want to ground us a little bit more on like more the traditional video game podcast as we come back down and, and maybe wrap up the episode a little bit. We've talked a lot about Beginner's Guide, but Stanley Parable, I'd like to just poke out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you guys if you had any specific endings that you really liked or you found were speaking to you. Starting with Ashley, um, was there any specific ending in Stanley Parable that you really liked? My favorite one is the the one that ends in the room of all the TVs. The, like, surveillance system? Yeah, because... Uh, because it reminds me of the end of The Matrix Reloaded. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Very Matrix. Yeah. It's because going back to like the meta textual elements of these games, we use the language of camera a lot in games, right? Like, especially somebody who like grew up loving late 90s, early 2000s survival horror games, the camera is ever present and participating in the horror because it's framing things very specifically to hide that creature that's just around the corner, all that kind of stuff. And so to kind of like pull the curtain back on that and just be like, here are all the cameras. This is everything that's been watching you this whole time. I just, there was something really fascinating to me about that idea. Awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie, did you have like a favorite ending from Stanley Parable? Yeah, I think um, the colorful room and the staircase that you can jump off of. There was something so weird about seeing the narrator get what they wanted, kind of, but have this space where we were both happy in a moment, but like the game's got to end at some point and you just start to feel trapped by it all. Like this isn't a story. This is just me walking around a room with the Northern Lights in it. (laughs) And the story's going to have to find that ending. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, Mike, what about you? Do you have a favorite ending? I don't know about favorite ending, but I have certain favorite moments. Okay. Because uh, like my first ending was I just, I was obedient and I went through and I got the happy ending where you like walk out into the field and it's like, yay. And oh, what was the other one? I got the like m- sort of more bleak one where it just kind of takes you back to, you kind of like, land at this place that could be your house with your wife. And then it's like, JK, it's not your wife. And also everything sucks. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, uh, but I, my favorite moments, and this is going to be so dumb. Uh, it's, uh, the, ba- it's the, where the baby's going into the fire <laughs> and you're just, and you're just sitting there. Cause I think I, I did it for way longer than I think a person is supposed to. And I just kept <laughs> pressing the button and stopping the baby from going into the fire. And I was kind of my own personal test of like, how long can I listen to this audio clip of this baby wailing? Before I lose my fucking mind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And the viscerally unpleasant button buzz. Oh, viscerally just so unpleasant. And I... It's, it's like one of my character flaws is like I will just willingly engage in these like moments of suffering where I'm just like kind of it's like self-torture in a way. And I, I feel like I get this weird sadistic pleasure out of it. And and I feel like I was like, OK, you, this needs to stop. I've, I've been doing this for like maybe 20 minutes and I, I don't <laughs> think I can do this anymore. Oh, my God. Yeah. I And I and I just feel like I was I was almost disgusted at myself in that moment. I was like, I, I just did that for way too long. I think I need to <laughs> take, a, take a moment. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. How about you, Travis? 
Uh, I'd actually say the adventure line. The one where he resets you and uh, just goes, nope, 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 nope. Here's a line. I'm going to draw a line in the floor and tell you exactly how to play. I don't care that there's choice in this game. I'm going to tell you exactly how you're supposed to play. And then how much that actually ruins the experience as he tries to continue with that. <laughs> I both love it just as an idea, but also because of how personally it hits me. My favorite thing about games is sharing them with people. I didn't realize how much I was going to love streaming, actually, until I watched Ashley stream. Um, I had never joined Twitch, uh, and I've realized how much I love that now, so thank you, Ashley. Um, I always lend my games out to people uh, because I want them to experience it, and then I want to hear what they thought. Yeah, you've always been like that. Yeah, that hit a really weird point when Maddie started getting into gaming, because I'm not usually in the room for it. And I didn't realize how hard I was going to fight myself to make sure that, like, what is good information that will help the player get past unnecessary obstacles and get through the game in a way that they'll enjoy it? But what is unnecessary information that will shape their gaming experience to be more like mine? Like, you're playing it wrong. Play it right. My way is the right way. (laughs) And I'm sure Maddie has been, you know intimately aware of that problem (laughs) (laughs) going back now and playing mass effect and trying to like negotiate how much i allow you to say about like the backstory and the world and everything because it's not stuff that is like a spoiler these are just little flavory details about the world but i still like hearing them from the characters themselves you know yeah and from their perspective and not mine not my interpretation of those things oh travis are you a backseat gamer i i really try not to be and i i hope i'm not (laughs) but anyways that's why that uh that ending really spoke to me of like yeah there is choices in the game travis and people need to make those choices and just because you think they're the wrong ones doesn't mean that they're playing the game wrong or they're having a worse experience because it wasn't the way that you did it and that's something that I need to remind myself of a lot. Right. So it, that one really hit me of like, yeah, draw a line on the floor. See how much that helps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that the narrator, like not only did he have this like Alan Rickman vibe, but I also, it was like, a, kind of like, I got whispers of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I kind of got like yeah. whispers oh. of, uh, did you guys ever see that movie Stranger Than Fiction with uh, Will yes. Ferrell? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, it kind of reminded me of that too. But yeah, really, really, it was a good, great, great play. Through. yeah absolutely and any last thoughts mike yeah so the you know the the name coda yes do, do you guys know what that is it means to take a pause and to take a rest doesn't it sort of it's in music it's the concluding passage of a piece of movement so it's actually the end of something it's the concluding section of like a, a, a section of of the music itself and i think that maybe that's like the part of the hidden message behind the beginner's guide because you have the beginner's guide and then the end is the character i don't know but anyways we've reached the coda of this episode <laughs> and specifically a coda is a part in the music where you skip from the middle of the piece all the way to the end <laughs> okay i love that i just wanted to bring that up now thank you thank you for that uh, ashley do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up only that like i am kind of dying to replay both of these games now <laughs> i never get sick of them and play through them through the lens of some of the things we've talked about today because i think that would be fascinating because i kind of played them both once and like i took a lot out, uh, away from those experiences obviously but it's been a, a hot minute since i've played them so i'm kind of like oh man I wonder what these things are like to go back to knowing how they end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I I could not recommend these games more. 
Um, I mean, I assume if you're listening to this episode that you've probably played them already. And if you haven't, I can't imagine what kind of experience you're going to have now. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I recommend these games to everybody that is interested in in just storytelling in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I think there's such fascinating examples of it. Awesome. Uh, Maddie, any final thoughts before we go? Coda isn't real, but my love for this game is. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well then, before we go, let's wrap it up with our age-old question. Uh, hey, Mike, what you playing? What am I playing? I am not playing anything because I've been so busy. M- my partner and I have successfully bought our first home. So I, I've been super busy with that. I know that you wanted to ask me about it on the last episode. And I was like, I don't know, because we're still finishing up all the paperwork. Yeah. And we're so, still but in now escrow. We're, we're locked in. <laughs> Everything's good. So, yeah, I'm not I'm I'm playing the game of, of moving, uh, of, of packing <laughs> and, and doing all that. So advanced Tetris. Yeah, I, it's I don't recommend it. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. OK, Ashley, what's your plan? I am currently playing Resident Evil 8. I recently finished the story mode and have just been having a lot of fun with the mercenaries mode, uh, which is back in the series after being absent for a couple entries. Um, And I'm enjoying it uh, quite a bit. It's very fun. Awesome. And Ashley, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Ashley Versus. Awesome. And Maddie, what are you playing? I finally got into Overwatch, having <gasps> watched you play it for years. Uh, my first online multiplayer game ever. It is so much fun. I've gotten into the full like YouTube videos, the Overwatch League. Yes. I'm, I'm obsessed. Yes. Wait, Maddie, what are you playing on? PC or what? PlayStation. Oh, you're playing the PS4. Damn it. All right. I mean, I'll I'll hop on there to play with you. I own it on every every platform. So. Oh, okay. Well, we can do this because then I own it on PlayStation. And I have both my PS4 and PS5. Don't judge me. Don't any of you judge me. I have my PS4 and PS5. So Maddie and I could both play. We could like do a team of this, the Rainbow Road team. Oh, yes. I'm into this. All right. I love this. Also, can I just take a side note to think of like how funny my life has turned in the past couple months with my relationship with Maddie? Because like, I know I've come out as pan, but I feel so straight. I have a girlfriend. We watch sports. (laughs) We yell at the TV. It is is so weird. Who are you, Travis? How much longer can you host this podcast before you just turn straight? Yeah, seriously. I've gone so queer, I've come right back around the circle to straight again. <laughs> yeah, full, full circle. You know, you go from one end, it's just actually the other end. It's like one of those galaxy brain memes. It's like, <laughs> I'm gay, I have a boyfriend. All the way back to like the galaxy brain is like, I'm gay, I have a girlfriend. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um, myself personally, I have been playing an unhealthy amount of Pokemon Snap. Uh, anyone who follows us on Twitter is, you know, uncomfortably aware of how much I'm loving this game because I am spamming our Twitter with it. I love your love of Pokemon Snap. As it do makes I, me so 100%. happy. I, Travis was sharing with me some of the pictures that he's taken, and they're really good. I feel like you would be an, ac- an excellent photographer IRL, too. He bought the Instax printer for it. Oh, my god! I gosh. blame you, Ashley. So, I blame he's you. been enabled. It's interesting you say that because you might blame me, but I credit me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're officially an influencer now. You, like, send your sponsors Ashley's way, guys. Yeah. Ashley influenced me to buy a product. Yeah, where's the sponsorship link? The best part of that story is that I have Pokemon Snap and I have played it for probably two hours and uh, do not have an Instax of my own yet. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you could probably borrow his. Yeah, this is true. 
Okay, on that note, we should wrap it up. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> this has been Rainbow Road. If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod or get in touch with us for future episodes at Rainbow Road Podcast at gmail.com. And a big thank you to all of our guests and hosts for today. Thanks for listening to Rainbow Road. <laughs>